I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I looked around at work and I just thought... What am I doing? Like, I don't want to be doing this for another 40 years. There has to be more to life than this. A lot of this is just really mindfulness across your life and trying to have some self-reflection and analyze as well. Okay, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Because I'm spending most of my energy to acquire money. If I'm spending all this energy and all this time to acquire money, I should really scrutinize where that money's going because if I just waste it, then I've just wasted that, that time that I'll never get back. When people discover financial independence, a lot of times they'll have like a values shift. Once you discover something that you care about and maybe it's, maybe it's being able to spend more time with your kids or maybe it's being able to take a year or two off and just go traveling. Once you find something that you deem more important than just enjoying today, it becomes so much easier to save and you see previously big spenders start socking away all their money because they've actually found something that's more important to them than spending it today. The, the savings rate is the number one predictor in how quickly you'll be able to create freedom in your life. But the amount that you need personally will be entirely related around one number and that number is your asset. Welcome to the Inspired Evolution. I'm your humble host, Amrit Sandhu, and you're tuning in to a conscious conversation designed to help you grow. Our mission here is simple. It's for you to live your purpose, live your best life, live the life you love. This podcast is sponsored by Enthusiasm for Life, by great creation itself. Keep the good vibes flowing for myself and yourself. Do us a solid. Subscribe to the Inspired Evolution podcast on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution podcast. Now sit back, relax, open your mind, open your heart to this conversation and stay inspired. Keep evolving. Welcome back. 
to the Inspired Evolution. And we have with us Inspiring Our Evolution today, Dave Gow. Dave, how are you there, brother? I'm doing well, mate. Thanks for having me. Uh, it is such a pleasure to have you here. And once again, you guys will notice fellow Aussie, Aussie accent on the other side of the mic. Dave is the author of a popular book here in Australia called Strong Money Australia. It's also, I don't know if the blog came first or the book came first. I'm imagining the blog came first, but maybe you can tell us, Dave. Um, but there's also a blog called Strong Money Australia. And he is notoriously famous for achieving financial independence at the ripe old age. You retired at 28. What the? F- Wait, huh? After working as a forklift driver for about 10 years before that. So, mate, I love having you here. It's a really interesting conversation we're going to have. For those that are tuning in to you for the first time, you retired at 28. What is FIRE? Can you explain the acronym? Because... I think that's a really important place for us to start this conversation. I know you like FI more than you like FIRE, but explain us FIRE and tell us about what's going on in there. All right. So I suppose if we start by defining FIRE, so it it stands for Financial Independence Retire Early, for those who might not have seen it broken down before. And so I suppose the idea behind FIRE is essentially it's essentially people wanting to build up enough money, enough kind of investment so that they can achieve financial independence. And in doing so, they have the option to retire early, but they may not actually retire early. They may just move on to other types of work or a business or something of that sort. But the idea behind it is just using your money to buy yourself freedom. And so you can do that in increments by as you start building some wealth and building some investments, you naturally become less reliant on your job income. So even if you don't become completely financially independent in a certain amount of time, you're still creating more freedom that's in the background, whether you cash in on that freedom or not, or you just use it to live a more um, secure and and happy lifestyle, whatever that means to you. But it's built on the idea of freedom and, and using your money a bit more thoughtfully and a bit more wisely so that you can live a life that you're more excited about. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I love that you've used the word freedom so many times in the way that you've described that because it wasn't until really that I started reading your book. I've always seen money as as a tool that sort of provides me freedom, yes, of choice. It was always freedom of choice. Um, and I still think, you know, reading your book that you – still speak to that in a really deep way but the of choice bit is completely unnecessary is what I sort of started to to realize when I start reading your book it's almost like if I'm understanding your philosophies correctly around it it's purely freedom so the more money you have the more freedom you've got and if you're yeah, just money equates to freedom in many ways. Um, can you expand upon that? Because it was, yeah, there's some really great bits about that, but there's some really like challenging bits about that as well when you start thinking about your own mm. spending. <laughs> so, so freedom itself becomes, and the money that facilitates freedom really just becomes like the ultimate option in life where you can, where it comes back to what you were, how you were framing it in your own mind, which is choice. And so I suppose you can think of freedom in a couple of different ways. You can think of it like freedom to do whatever you want, but it's also freedom from doing things maybe you don't want to do. And so there's two kind of angles you can see it from and different 
uh, benefits on both of those sides. It depends on what's kind of drawing you the most. Is it freedom to be able to go off and explore and do different things? Or is it freedom to kind of leverage yourself out of doing certain things that you might not want to be spending your time on? So that's that's how I think of freedom. And I do think of money equals freedom in a in like quite simplistic terms because it it really can be quite that simple. But I suppose the only other thing I would add is that money equals freedom, yes, to a point, but sometimes you'll find that the people who chase the most money aren't really mentally free because they're just spending all their energy and all their time chasing more money. So they don't actually have any freedom in their life. They've got the money part, but they haven't yet cashed in on the freedom side of it. They've just, oh, I've got more money, more money, and they're just kind of chasing more. So they don't actually have freedom. So it gives you the option to be free, but it doesn't necessarily mean you are free. So I think there's an important distinction there because I'm sure we all uh, probably have heard of some people that just, it never seems to be enough. And so the fire movement is really part of it. I suppose we'll get into this in a minute, but part of it is really looking at, okay, what is enough for you? Because if you don't really define what enough is, you'll just keep working and keep amassing wealth forever. And so that might be uh, that might be a good idea for some people. They might find that super appealing for whatever reason. But for a lot of us, it's not. It's really we want the money for some reason. We want it to be able to live a different sort of a life, not to have to keep working 50 hours a week on things we might not really be all that excited about. So, yeah, I just wanted to add that bit in there. Yeah, I think that's incredibly profound. What's the... um how do we start like, well, maybe let's take us through your own journey as a practical example. Like, cause you were working away, um, just like most of us were. And you at some point decided why was it so important to figure out what's enough for you? And then what was your own journey like in terms of realizing, you know, that you could actually set yourself free by 28? Like what, can you step us through some of the, the mental processes you went through on that journey and how do you define it enough for yourself? So, so I guess it was a bit strange where I didn't really, I didn't really know what the enough part was until the end. And I didn't really know how, I didn't really know, okay, I'm going to be retired by whatever age. I, at the start, I didn't really have, uh, I suppose, because that's the other thing, like these blogs and podcasts and all that, they weren't really around back then. This is like mid, late 2000s, right? So it's like 2008 or something when I started, I believe. Um, so there wasn't like the abundance of content out there that there is now. So I was just kind of wandering around in the dark, just finding these different investment books. It's like, okay, well, if you save and invest and you kind of acquire assets, eventually you don't have to work. And I thought, okay, that's cool. That makes sense. But I didn't really know what that actually looks like on the other end. And then I didn't really know how much I needed. Palpably. Kind of yeah, 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 yeah. Stumbling yeah, yeah, yeah. around <laughs> trying to figure it out. Yeah. So th th I figured that part out later, but the initial spark for it was just I'd only been in full-time work for maybe like a year and I real I just I looked around at work and I was working in a in a factory at the time and I just thought what am I doing like well, I don't want to be doing this for another 40 years there has to be more to life than this and part of it was because we got a new boss and he was quite 
it wasn't wasn't great to work for and the the um morale in the workplace dropped significantly and and everyone just kind of accepted the certain changes that he were he was making and it made the workplace just like a really unenjoyable um environment to to work in and spend the majority of your day in essentially so then i thought well i don't want to be spending a lot of my life in a place like in a negative environment that's not enjoyable to be at and then also be forced to do it if i want to keep working i want the choice to do it so i kind of mentioned it to a couple of guys that work like why why do we put up with this like why do people just stay in their jobs and whatever and, and people just mentioned oh bill got bills to pay got bills to pay i'm like yeah okay i get it the rat race um, yeah, but then yeah, in, yeah. in the back of my yeah in the back of my mind i just i just couldn't accept it the idea of working doing that kind of job or maybe a better job but still being forced to essentially work for another 40 years or 50 years doing things that i wasn't particularly uh like passionate about and at the at that stage i had no idea of anything else i wanted to do so i was just kind of i guess stumbling around in another way um i just know that I, I just knew at that point that i really wanted the option to be able to do whatever i want and sp- spend my time um in a different way just just have that have my life be built around like a base a baseline of freedom and then decide from there what i wanted to do so that was the that was the spark in wanting to build wealth and have investments and um yeah it wasn't until later that i realized how much i needed and all the rest of it through going um going through a process of um simplifying my spending and realizing what i needed to be happy and what i didn't really need and um going from there because that's a topic that you cover really deeply is this conversation around happiness and what is actually required Uh, we will get into the tips and strategies around investing etc etc down the line in the podcast but i think aligning ourselves like philosophically to just where your head was at i think is really important to provide the context because yeah, we've seen studies as well um, that after you start making here in Australia specifically, um, after you start making about a hundred thousand dollars a year, you're like up until about a hundred thousand dollars a year, every ten grand you're becoming happier. Um, but after about ten thousand dollars, it literally just is like a logistic curve. It just starts to flatten out. Like you don't actually get that much happier after you start making anything much more than a hundred grand a year. Um, so, because I think that's important because we we spend so much time trying to generate income without actually and you know I'm, I'm a big part of what i took away from your book was actually like scrupulously taking a, a a lens to our to our spending as well and there's reasons for that i'm going to get you to explain that but the the happiness piece like can you explain in your own words why it's so important to really understand what brings us happiness because i i think it sounds like a, a really lame question but when you actually stop, I don't think many people have actually stopped to reflect on what the answer to that question is. And you think about how much you're actually doing in your day-to-day life, busy just for the sake of being busy. It's a bit of a slap in the face. Well, it's a tricky one, right? Because we go to work all day and we earn this money and then we spend most of it on, well, we spend maybe half of it or a bit more on things that we truly need and then we do spend a lot of it on things that we don't really need and if we look at maybe how we've spent our money over the last 10 years or so and look back at how many things like where's our money gone and what things truly added value to our lives 
what things can we look back on and think, oh, wow, that was really worth it? I think that number of things is actually relatively small. And perhaps the things that we do spend on aren't as expensive as we think they need to be. So some of the things that might make us happy would be like having a coffee with friends. It's not necessarily going to be getting an extra two bedrooms on it, like getting a a four or five bedroom house instead of a three bedroom house in a nicer area and whatever. And that's obviously adding to our mortgage and adding to our workload and what's required of us on on an ongoing basis. So sometimes it's those little things that we need to stop and recognize. Like a lot of this is just really mindfulness across your life and trying to have some self-reflection and analyze as well. Okay, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? But not only just like my activities, but my money, because I'm spending most of my energy to acquire money. So if if I'm spending all this energy and all this time to acquire money, I should really scrutinize where that money's going because if I just waste it, then I have, I've just wasted that, that time that I'll never get back. So I need to be way more picky about how I spend my money. So that's kind of how I began to think about money because I suppose we had two choices. We can either spend it now and it's gone forever or we can keep it and we can use it sometime in the future, maybe to spend it or maybe to, um, use it to live on to work less or to buy investments which will produce its own income or so we get all these different choices with our money we just have to be a bit more maybe reflective and a bit more thoughtful about how we approach what we're going to do with it before we do it because once it's gone we're not getting it back we have to spend more of our life energy more of our time to get more of it to then decide what to do with that future money it's such an important conversation because yeah you really are buying everything and you mentioned this quite like throughout the book which is you're actually buying things whenever you're buying them with your hard-earned time which is something you're never going to get like because it's money and it seems to be this transactional thing it's sort of like an intermediary and you sort of lose sight of the fact that I actually had to put in like six hours of sweat to actually just go buy this t-shirt or something right and it's like is this t-shirt actually worth six hours of your life where you could have been going to the beach with your family, right? Like, is that really what you value? And it becomes, because that's one, like that's looking from the bottom up and then looking from the top down, this really kept bugging me. When (laughs) a dollar saved is 25 earned over the course of like 15 years, you mentioned this in the book. And I was like, a dollar earned? is 25 saved and this has just stayed with me mate can you explain this to us um and yeah just the power of investing and maybe we'll start talking about investing as at that point there yeah sure yeah because that because that does relate to investing so the idea essentially is for each one dollar that we spend one dollar of annual spending, I'll say, not just one random dollar, but one dollar of annual spending to support that level of spending, say in perpetuity, we would need $25 of investments. So the way you can think about it is for every $25 of investments, a reasonable expectation is you get $1 per year of income, which equates to roughly 4%, which is kind of like an accepted rule of thumb, I suppose you would say. 
Um, and so every, like this multiplier effect, so every dollar you can translate it into thousands of dollars. So every $1,000 of annual spending, you would need $25,000 of investment assets um, to produce $1,000 of, say, passive income to cover those expenses forever, more or less. So that's uh, that kind of leads into figuring out how much you might need to actually become financially independent and not have to work anymore um, at all. So the, I suppose you can see the, the because of the multiplier, there is a powerful effect in simplifying your expenses and getting those down to where you're living a good life. I'm not trying to advocate anyone live under a bridge and you know whatever get their expenses to absolute zero (laughs) get smart about your living yeah 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 yeah. i just mean thoughtful questioning about what you're spending your money on like we were saying before because as you bring that number down your annual spending you're having a huge multiplier effect on the amount you need to have invested to support that lifestyle which uh so if you can bring that number down you're speeding up how quickly you can create freedom and start doing other things with your life. So that's another way to think about it. Yeah, so I can tell that I've jumped the gun in the questioning for the audience that's following along. So let's explain um, how we actually get financially free at an early age because there's you mentioned in the past there's, there's two paths, right, um, for people to either generally, those that have found freedom, they set up their own business, um, or they can invest. And maybe you can talk about the pros and cons of both. Um, I'm in the former camp, you're in the later camp. Um, but yeah, maybe you can start to, and I, yeah, I think investing is probably something everybody needs to do, even if they've got their own business, just to be completely transparent. Um, but yeah, can you explain those options and then why you chose investment and then the mechanism of how you actually set yourself financially free? So it's actually pretty straightforward to be honest i the reason i chose investing was the obviously the two main options as you mentioned for building a like good size financial base is starting a business and building that over time um and then also working a normal job is the other option where you save your money and invest it and then the investments produce the income so i much preferred the idea of having the investments produce the income because then i don't really need to do anything so that Having Super the passive, maybe it's, in some I, way, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just some uh, internal laziness in the background, but I, I much prefer the idea of the, you know, the passive uh, money coming in. You know, so that you do have to pay attention to what's happening and stuff a little bit, but um, for the most part, investing is very, very hands off. So that was much more appealing to me than having to run a business, which, like, uh, it, I think you might you might admit this too, having a business is like having a, it's like having a different type of job, right? It's a more stressful job. You have more control over your time, which is awesome. And you have more control over the activities you do and don't do, which is awesome too. So you have much more, uh, you're much more have your destiny in your own hands in a sense when you have your own business. And that's, that's fantastic. But the, the more, laid back style was just more for me i didn't want to manage any people i didn't want to have to like do all these other things that just seemed stressful it just wasn't for me i just wanted to yeah 
uh, use my money, buy investments, and then just sit back and relax. <laughs> yeah. And then in the book, you describe that the investments don't have to be these like interstellar events either. Um, so can you describe a little bit around um, what you're trying to do when you're investing um, and how much, how many, how much you're trying to invest and what the target sort of is? I think that'll be really important for people to tune into. As in when I was on my journey or do you mean how do I approach it generally? In general, when you, yeah, when you help people um, set themselves up to be financially independent and retire early um, or semi-retire early, which we can talk about, um, yeah, the sort of target to sort of, not sort of, the target to get to in terms of investing because it's different for everybody, right, um, what they're trying to achieve. And it sounds like, well, let me just be super clear so for most people tuning in at this juncture in the conversation it's like okay well i probably need like you know 10 million dollars invested in the bank to really be you know making anything meaningful to fight like to you know retire um i should have that level of assets to you know because the return on investment will probably pay for my my upkeep and stuff and what we found through your example is it actually isn't a drastic amount that you need in the bank, you need something that will pay you a certain amount. And maybe you should tell us, you know, like you said, with the 4%, how that really works out as a rule of thumb, but you don't actually need as much as you think to save and invest um, before you actually set yourself free. Can you explain that to us? Yeah. So a little bit related to what we were saying earlier, the amount that you need personally will be entirely related around one number. And that number is your annual expenses. And so it goes back to that little 25 times um, rule that we said earlier. So the way I think about it is, uh, let's say we'll use some, some round figures to make it pretty simple. So if we're building a portfolio of, let's just say it's a share portfolio and we use some pretty boring boring diversified funds that we don't really have to do anything that we can just buy and hold for the long term because that's a pretty common sense type of investing we're not doing anything crazy in the fire community is actually like it seems like we're doing this crazy stuff you know retiring early and whatever but we invest like super super boring you know super slow and whatever so it's actually quite a quite a funny thing to to note um so how you can roughly think of it is Over the very long term, the share market, like in Australia and globally, there's various figures, but it's it's a reasonable expectation is something like seven or eight percent per annum. And so as I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
as an investment return. And so maybe half of that will come from dividend income. So this is uh, payments that companies pay out to shareholders, which is a portion of their profits. And so that might be in the region of three to four percent, say four percent per year, uh, on a on a reasonably diversified portfolio. And the rest of the return will be like capital growth over time. So that's the portfolio growing in value. So that's that's more or less where we come to this four percent rule, where we say we have we managed to build up a portfolio that's worth a million dollars. It's reasonable to expect that we can. Uh, we can achieve an income from that portfolio in the region of like $40,000 per year. So whether that's enough for you, again, comes back to your own personal spending. Maybe that's nowhere Maybe near enough. 40 grand a year. Yeah, okay. yeah, whether that's your spending or if you spend 80 grand a year, you'll need 2 million and you can see how it scales up. If you spend 120 grand a year, you'll need 3 million. So it, you can see how those two numbers are related. Um, and so I hope that answers your question about how we can, it really does how we can get yeah, to it really does. gauge it. Yeah. Yeah. And the interesting piece from there is it comes back to that point that you were making. So if I've got, if my expenses are, let's say $45,000, I need 25 times more in the bank to be able to support myself than that of that $5,000. Right. So I could have made it off a million if I was living off $40,000 a year, but if I've got, if my if my expenses are forty five, then I've got to have twenty five times that. So it's a, like that much more that I need in the bank. And this is where it becomes a really interesting dance. And it's almost like you've gamified it as I followed. Which is, if I can reduce the dollars, then I don't need so much saved up, um, and I can actually retire earlier just by allowing myself to live off not like you said before, not being Spartan about it, but learning to live off just what I actually need rather than what I want. There's a, I think we've explained it or you've explained it really well. There's um, a couple of questions in there. And one of them is again, like, you know, we've, we've gotten into the investment and nitty gritty of it. I'm going to zoom back out into um, a lid and pardon me for doing this a bit more philosophical, but (sighs) maintaining a standard of living, mate, like just keeping up with the Joneses. I feel like, it's something that sort of distracts us from because people will listen to this podcast right now um, and they'll be like, shit, that actually makes a lot of sense. Maybe I should start saving um, to, you know, even if even if you don't see yourself, like you say in the book, like financially free, if you had a million dollars saved away and you had $40,000 coming to you throughout a year, that's actually pretty remarkable, a pretty remarkable achievement. And you've seen people achieve it in pretty radically fast timelines. It doesn't take as long as you think it does. Um, yeah, like this idea of what stops us from actually saving, um, because I found you speak to keeping up with the Joneses, um, quite extensively as well as this sort of Achilles heel of being able to actually maintain a reasonable standard of living versus maintaining the standard of living, if that makes sense. Can you share your thoughts on capitalistic consumerist culture? and why it's wired the way that it does and how that sort of sets us up for failure. Yeah, it's really it's really tough and it's it's a really big topic because there's not just like one thing that stops us from from saving. It's really so many different things. So, I suppose the first one is human nature, right? The temptation of if we have more money, we just spend it just because we 
we're, we're almost wired to think short term. And so we go for the short term treat versus the long term reward. It's kind of the same in in dieting and, and exercise and stuff as well, right? We, we don't feel that great. So I would, I'll, just, I'll just rest today. I'll go to the gym tomorrow. Or all that food looks really good. Let me just have, I'll, have, I'll treat myself today and then tomorrow I'll be good. I'll do it tomorrow. It's, just, it's exactly the same thing with personal finances. It's 100% the same thing. It's just that human nature to, I'll just, I'll just put it off. I'll just do it tomorrow. So we just think, oh, I've got this little bit of money. Let, let me get myself a, some new clothes or, or let's go out to dinner again or something, something of that nature. Um, so that's one aspect of it. The other aspect I would say is just how powerful marketing is. I don't think we realize just how brainwashed we become and it is very, very easy to do. Like marketing is such a giant industry and it's there's so much money in it for a reason because it works. Like these 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 marketers are no offense to anyone who works in marketing but i think they can i've had marketers reach out to me and agree that, that this is how it works and <laughs> but every everything you see like every advertisement the lighting the product the words the tone the colors every single thing is being used to manipulate you to believe a certain thing to feel a certain way to make you want, make you need that thing that they're selling, that you absolutely can't live without it, that your life will not be the same if you don't have it, that you need it because you want to keep up with everyone else. And as much as we like to think of ourselves as these creatures who are able to resist all of these marketing pressures, at some point we cave in because there is just so much advertising that we're exposed to. And so you can be disciplined for a while, but eventually you do start to cave in. You're like, oh, well, yeah, I'll just get, I'll just get that thing. And, and then eventually, because it sticks in the back of your mind too. These like, because you, you, if you watch an ad and then years later, you'll still remember like the, jing, the jingle from the ad, you know? So these things are sticking in our brain for a very long time. So marketing is, is another aspect of it. But then also there's... I would say social media as well because we're constantly exposed to how other people are living and we only see the good parts, right? No one ever shows you like they might show you the the new stuff they've bought or where they're, where they're on holiday or whatever, but you never see their bank account. You never see their credit card bill or their personal loan after personal loan that's piled up on their on their statements, right? So when we when we look at that sort of stuff, we instantly feel like oh i'm missing out my life's not as good as theirs we should do such and such you know it's it's there's so many different things that all these little bugs that kind of crawl into our brain and make us decide that well we should spend on on xyz so it's there's just so many things man it's really tough to resist but i think once you start to see through some of the nonsense and some of the manipulation you can begin to make better decisions but a lot of it just does come back to practice and mindfulness and self-reflection on, okay, I bought this thing last week. How do I feel now? Does, did it actually make me any happier? Or do I actually kind of regret it because I didn't really need it? Could I have used that money for something better? So a lot of it comes back to that. Yeah. And I think it's uh, it's interesting because, yeah, you call this out in the book as well. Like there's so many of us that we're busy as a badge of honour. Um, you know, it's like, oh, I'm busy, you know, and it's like, you're just busy for the sake of being busy. And, you know, when you can retire early 
and just find all the space. And it's a bit of an identity crisis as well because like now I'm not busy, I don't know what I'm doing, but it's also... And one of the other things that was really inspiring to read is you have this perspective that spenders can actually turn into savers because a lot of people tuning into this podcast, I imagine, are going to feel like, I'm not a saver, Um, I'm a spender. But you point out that it's actually all about incentives. Can you expand upon what you mean by that, bro? Yeah, this is something that I would say when I discovered it, it almost surprised me as well because I was... I suppose I was also conditioned to have the assumption that, well, some people are just better at saving than others. And I suppose that is probably true to some extent, but it doesn't mean that people who are prone to spending can't then also change and become passionate savers because I've seen it happen with my own eyes and I was quite surprised when I discovered it. So I think one of the reasons that we don't save another point is that It's just our priorities. Everything we do comes back to priorities. We we prioritize, we might just prioritize comfort today over something else tomorrow. And that's not to say it's right or wrong. It's just to understand what your priorities are. So then you can understand your own behavior and whether it lines up with what's really important to you or not. So again, we're back to mindfulness. So I've noticed that sometimes people that spend a lot of money, like all of their income, let's say, sometimes they don't really know what they what they want out of life. Sometimes they're just doing it because that just seems like the, the standard thing to do. And if I spend more today, I'm going to enjoy myself more today. And sometimes that's true. But a lot of times it, it comes back to them not having any bigger priorities, anything that anything that seems more important than enjoying themselves today. So when people discover financial independence, a lot of times they'll have like a, like a value shift in their mind. They'll start to value, they'll start to realize that, okay, maybe I actually value freedom a bit more than I thought. I really want, because once you want something, you're way more likely to give up something else in pursuit of it or with that as the goal in mind. So once you're, once you discover something that you care about and maybe it's, Maybe it's being able to spend more time with your kids when you eventually have kids if you don't already. Or maybe it's being able to spend more time with them now if you already do. Or maybe it's being able to take a year or two off and just go traveling wherever you want to go. It could be so many different things. But once you find something that you deem more important than just enjoying today, it becomes so much easier to save and you see previously big spenders start socking away all their money because they've actually found something that's more important to them than spending it today. So I thought that was really uh, quite powerful when I noticed it happening because I had yeah. some friends where I noticed this happening. I'm like, oh, wow, I get it. I get it now. They just didn't have anything uh, that they thought was really important to to use their money for. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's there's so much to take away from Strong Money Australia. But that will and that was one of the biggest ones for me personally, which was just like, yeah, you can feel abundant in your saving in the daily, but also recognizing that you're actually purchasing stuff in the present from your future freedom. And that was a total like buzz for the mind. It was like, oh, this is costing freedom. 
like this is and like incentives wise it was like oh or i can save this and i'm actually i'm saving up freedom of time um this is creating future i could actually yeah right absolutely and that's incredible um as 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 a powerful incentive one of the other questions i've wanted to just sort of support the audience with today is we've talked about the four percent rule um which i think is um an important understanding for people because you need yeah basically about 25 times your annual spending to retire right so if you've got 25 times you know the example you gave before million dollars forty thousand a year if that's good for you you can officially retire early um the savings rate why is it so important to get clear on your savings rate i think it harkens back to a few points that you were making earlier but i think it's important to just get super clear because we haven't actually coined the term savings rate in this conversation just yet for those that are tuning in yeah so your savings rate is essentially just the percentage of your take-home pay that you're able to save which you can then invest or pay down a mortgage or whatever for use for productive purposes so if you're taking home $2,000 a week and you're able to save $200 a week, your savings rate is therefore 10%. And so obviously that changes as the numbers change. But so the, the idea behind your savings rate is um, how the numbers work, obviously the as your savings rate increases, the time it takes to reach financial independence comes down and it comes down by a lot. So I don't, yeah. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but there's, oh, as no, you would have seen yeah. the table and the, the, the graph in the book, it's, uh, it, the, mm. the savings rate is the number one predictor in how quickly you'll be able to create freedom in your life. And it may just be, it doesn't have to be like full financial independence. Maybe some people think, oh my God, that goal is just too much. It's too far. It's too hard. I don't want to do it. And so then it, it makes them much less likely to, to start pursuing it. But I found that a lot of people are really keen on the idea of semi-retirement anyway, as in maybe you get halfway there. So if we work on those numbers, $500,000 in investments instead of a million, um, because a lot of people still just are happy to work part-time anyway, even if they kind of have to work part-time, that's still a much more enjoyable lifestyle. And they're also able to then transition into work they actually might like much more easily because then as you as your savings and as your wealth scales up as we said before your reliance on money goes down so that means you're able to start choosing work based on enjoyment rather than salary and so that's quite a powerful mindset shift even if somebody doesn't um and that's the other thing even if somebody doesn't change their jobs just having savings and having investments kind of growing in the background is such a huge psychological boost and such an unlock for people because then they know in the back of their mind, if something happens at this job, I'm okay. I have time before I need to get another job. And if I no longer enjoy this job or if this job is starting to have an effect on my mental health, I can walk away. My bills aren't sky high and I don't have no money to the point where I'm stuck. I have to stay here. So even just you find that, people who've been on on the journey as such for six to 12 months, they've improved their spending. They've started to get some savings away. 
They've started investing for the first time. They've maybe even got a couple of dividends hitting the bank account. They're like, wow, that their mind just shifts completely. And then they no longer feel such insecurity around their finances and how they're and how they're having to live their life. It's just, it's such a huge change, even without making it five, 10 years down the track and being super wealthy. Man, it's a, it's a total, yeah, I can see how powerful it is to get really clear on how much you can say. One of the questions I had for you, and I think we'll chat about um, semi-retirement after this, which is, does your mortgage count as your savings? Like if you're saving, if you're spending a lot of your income on your mortgage, does that count towards your savings rate or does it not? I wasn't clear on this when I got through your work. So no, it doesn't. Not not really. So there's a bit of a caveat to that. I will say not really. And the reason for that is a mortgage is essentially just a housing cost, kind of like rent. So it's it's not counted as as uh, part of your savings rate towards wealth that helps you create freedom because if you're just paying your typical mortgage payment of whatever it is, 700 a week or something like that, that 700 a week is not helping you become free anytime soon. That 700 a week isn't helping you create any sort of investment income. It's not helping you get yourself out of the rat race in any way because most of that payment is just interest. So you're actually paying very little off the mortgage. So most of so you could think of, you know how people think of rent money as dead money? Well, you can think of interest and council rates and all of that. That's dead money too, if you want to equate them to be the same thing. So that money is going to the bank. That's not coming off your mortgage. And yeah, so although people might think, oh, well, I'm kind of saving or putting this money into my mortgage. Most of it's not actually coming off the mortgage, unfortunately. So that's something to remember. But the caveat to that is that let's say you have a plan to become, let's say, financially independent in 20 years or semi-retired in five years or 10 years, doesn't really matter. But let's just say you have a goal and you have a rough time frame in mind. Doesn't matter what the, what the years are. If you have a plan, you can then start including your mortgage in the plans because you can you can sit there and say okay in 10 years I want to at least be semi-retired if we pay off our mortgage in the next 10 years that starts to have a difference to the level of freedom in our lives because no it doesn't provide you any investment income but what it does do is greatly reduce your ongoing expenses so currently, if we go back to paying, say it's 700 a week, your mortgage, if you can manage to pay off your mortgage at any time, then that, rep that repayment that is coming out of your bank every month no longer does. So your expenses then fall and fall often by quite a lot. So that means the amount you need to live on and the amount you need invested also falls by quite a lot because your annual expenses are now much lower without a mortgage. So your normal mortgage payments, I'll say no, don't contribute. But if you have a plan where you're like, okay, I'm going to get to this goal in 10 years or whatever it is, and I'm going to factor in a paid off mortgage at that time, then yes, I will say then it does contribute because you're... Get, you're removing that debt and therefore reducing your expenses and making it much easier to leverage yourself out of out of the rat race. Right. 
Yeah, so what I'm hearing is it's not the surefire way to financially becoming financially independent and retiring early, but it can help you semi-retire early if you apply the strategy of wanting to semi-retire early um, and you've got a strategy to pay it off faster than, um, yeah, yeah, I'm following, I'm following. It's because yeah, um, if you put if you just chuck money into your mortgage next week, the week after, the week after, it doesn't change your freedom it doesn't really do anything but if you remove the mortgage it it does so there's it's all kind of one or the other yeah i um you are a big advocate of then saving first um and then also applying mindful spending i've got some i got some pretty good control over my finances um when it came to budgeting and bucketing um but you say that that's well you called it out as sort of being level one and then level two is a bit more like save first and then, you know, scrupulously check out and like mindful spending. So can you describe budgeting and bucketing and why you advocate save first and mindful spending as a better approach um, than bucketing and budgeting? Yep. I'd say it's, it's habits and personality driven. So with the budgeting and bucketing, that is, very useful that if you have absolutely no idea where you're going, where where your money is going rather, and you have absolutely no control over it, then creating a budget or buckets is a very, very good approach because that's that, that you've got these little silos. Okay. This money goes here, this money goes here. And that's, that's the rules. And I'll follow the rules because that's where the money is, is destined to go. So that makes absolute sense for people who don't really have um, much control or they feel like they need that forced discipline, that is very, very useful. So I'm not like poo-pooing that idea altogether. Um, but I do think there's something powerful in moving towards a set of finances where you're not reliant on being forced to do that because it does limit your freedom in a way. Because yes, you can make a budget for whatever, let's say you make a budget for going out and having coffee or going restaurants or whatever. If you make a budget for that and then something important comes up, a a kind of an old friend wants to catch up or you you just feel like doing something extra that month. If you're on a budget, you're way more likely to feel restricted. So I'm not the biggest fan of the whole budgets thing and the bucketing thing as well. So if if you can move to towards mindful spending and maybe it takes a little bit of practice and a little while to get there, that's okay. But if you can move there, I think that's a much healthier way to approach your spending because you can then either decide, okay, yes, this, this purchase is worth it or it's not. And so then it becomes, you have a much more healthy relationship with money because it's one that's based on, you know, self-reflection and careful deliberation and thought thoughtfulness before you're spending rather than okay well this money is set in this bucket and then if it's in there i'm just going to spend it because that's how a lot of people do it they feel they almost feel obligated to spend the money because it's been allocated (laughs) yeah they feel like well i put it away i better spend it so i don't really i don't really think that that's the Mm. best approach because you then because then you're still in the mindset of (laughs) i totally do that (laughs) it's super common man but I just think yeah. then you're still in the mindset of if there's money there, I spend it. But you've just put it in a bucket to kind of grant yourself that ability to spend it. But I'd I'd rather move to a more approach where you're like, is this worth it or is it not? 
And sometimes it's like, yeah, I feel like doing it. Let's just do this thing. And it costs $100, whatever. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like you can get to a point where you have complete freedom. So I like to, I like to have people work towards a point where they can have freedom in their personal finances as well, as a well, as opposed to, I mean, in, in addition to personal freedom in their lives so that they can also approach their spending from a position of freedom. It's thoughtful freedom though. It's not forced, forced um, discipline. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. I've, what are your thoughts on like apps such like I use Pocketsmith um, to try and get more mindful about my spending. I'm not sure if that means anything to the international audience, but it's basically like an app where you can link in your bank accounts and you can basically just collect, you know, categorize all your transactions um, and makes it really easy to really understand. It's like, holy, well, I'm spending heaps more on the house than I thought I was, you know, um, and it just, you can start to collect. And that's been a really useful tool. We're about uh, four months into a six month, uh, sorry, into a 12 month exercise. We gave ourselves the opportunity, we're going to do this for 12 months just to really understand where our finances are going um, so that we can better understand what decisions to make. We were running the idea that we were going to then potentially set up a budget knowing how much we wanted to spend in each category. But now having come across your work, I think the idea really is just to save first um, and then just, you know, know that this is what, how much we currently spend in each category and see, have a really mindful conversation between me and my wife and sort of say, how much do we really think we should be spending on each of these and just not even feeling like we budget, but just sort of seeing how we go with a little bit more conscious spending um, around us. Mm, mm. Um, your thoughts on apps like sorry, that, I didn't, um, tools? I was just going to say, sorry, I didn't answer your question. I didn't really cover the save first idea that you just mentioned before in the whole budgeting yeah. approach. So maybe I'll just mention that a little bit now and then we'll talk about mm. apps. Um, so the save first idea is just essentially you could take, you could look at your annual annual income and you could say, okay, I make $75,000 a year after tax. You can then try and decide how much of this, how much of this income per week or per month, however you like to do it, do I want to save and make a target? And you say, okay, that's going to be X amount per week or per fortnight. So let's just take that money away from me so I can't spend it. Let's, that's just my target. That's my number one priority. Let's just save X amount of money per week. And then the rest of it, we can do whatever we like. So I find some people like that approach as well because once they've hit their savings target, then they're free to spend the rest as they please. They don't have set budgets for different categories and all the rest of it. It's just whatever's there is, is up to them how they use it. So, and then for apps, Anything, honestly, anything that can help you track your money and get your spending figured out um, and really give you a good glimpse of where all your cash is going, anything like that is super useful, especially in the beginning because in the beginning, none of us know where our money's going because we just, it's just not natural. We might have an idea, but we just, we don't really know and we don't know how much we're spending either. So anything like that is really useful. I just... For the most part, I just used to just estimate, like with a pen and paper. <laughs> I don't do I don't do that anymore. But um, yeah, I just used to estimate our our ongoing costs. So these days, I have like a little spreadsheet. But I only have a spreadsheet because I've like I actually started doing that after I left work and started the blog. And then I was telling people, you know, my annual expenses. And then I thought, oh, maybe I should actually like 
have a way Speaking. to prove it, you know? So I'm, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm pretty, it's around such and such. And then I'm like, wait a minute, I can't actually prove that. So I started tracking it so that I knew exactly what it was. And it was, it was roughly what I thought. So now I'm just in the habit of kind of recording where, where our spending, where, where the cash goes each month. So however you like to do it, it's a good habit to get in, especially in the beginning so that you can really understand where all your money's going. Um, and then you can decide what to do about it. And some things you'll leave completely as is because you're happy with the way that is. And other things that will kind of like you mentioned before, you're like, you're going to notice something like, wow, I didn't realize this category was so high. Maybe we can do something about that. Um, and so it's really helpful for highlighting areas that you might be able to improve that might have absolutely no impact on your on your well-being and your enjoyment of life at all. Yeah. I'm conscious at this juncture we've talked a lot about savings and we mentioned investing earlier. The relationship between saving and investing, I think people might be conflating that um, in their mind at this particular point in the conversation because we're advocating savings, um, but just because you've saved doesn't mean you've invested. So the relationship between savings and investment, contrary to what I've come across before, most people siphon off and invest immediately you actually invite us to save first and then invest after can you explain your strategy and your approach um yeah so i suppose uh i would just encourage people to save whatever portion of their paycheck that they can afford to at the moment and then when i say and then invest afterwards it's just essentially after you've collected that money and it's built up in the account for the month then you can invest it after that i'm not not necessarily um telling people to delay investing or anything like that just save up during the month and then you can make a monthly investment and then do the same the next month and go along like that and so you build you also build a habit that way mm-hmm. and why do you choose shares over property well, I didn't always. I didn't always. Yeah. So as I no, as I go into <laughs> the book, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, as I go into, I started off investing in property because that was what I was most comfortable with. As I think most Aussies are, it's just the, the kind of the natural asset that we that we're, we're attracted to, which makes sense. I mean, n- none of us really grow up understanding the share market and how it works. It just looks like a very strange an uncomfortable place to put our money. So we naturally, uh, I think we naturally gear ourselves more towards investing in property. Uh, So I initially did that and some of the properties I had did well and some of them didn't do well at all. So the, the experience itself was okay. There was way, 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 way more expenses than anybody likes to talk about. You only ever hear, oh, here's how much my property went up in value. Yeah, this is never my like, flow. oh, <laughs> yeah, here's my cash flow. It's atrocious. Or here's yeah. here's all the expense, the other expenses I had to fork out. Uh, so yeah, that's the other side of property that not many people like to tell you about. But really, what changed for me was towards the end of my journey, and I didn't really know it was the end of my journey towards FI at the time was realizing okay we we, like i've been saving for this many years i'm putting money into property some of the properties have gone up in value i keep like plowing money in and then i'm thinking okay there's there's a decent amount of wealth here now but how am i actually going to live on it 
because the properties are still costing me money. They're not actually, I'm getting no income from these properties at all. How's this going to work? And then I'm thinking, even, even if I keep working for another 10 years, and I was kind of doing the sums at that point, the properties really still aren't going to give me much in the way of income. So I'm thinking, wow, that's quite a bit of money to sit in that asset and not really get any income from. Maybe I'll look at the share market again. What's that like? And so I did that. And then I came across um, the idea of getting dividend payments and using those to live on instead of rents from a property. And so then I was like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty good. You can get you know, a decent a decent dividend and you get some franking credits in Australia, which kind of makes that income a bit better. And then there's that. And then the, the bonus is obviously there's absolutely no expenses associated with that. I was like, oh, wow, this is so, this is, uh, this is going to be much better for cash flow. So I started investing in shares when I realized all that. And so part of, part of doing those numbers also was realizing that if my savings were in shares instead of property, I could actually retire pretty soon because of the the income was actually pretty decent and there not being any expenses. So then I was like, wow, maybe I should actually, maybe I should actually sell my properties. And so that was like a, it's almost like a taboo topic in Australia. Sell, the idea of selling property to, to do something else with your money. Um, but then it came back to that equation again, like, I'm doing this for freedom. So I don't really care about the properties. I care about freedom. So if I really care about freedom, the right thing to do is to sell the properties and in, invest that money into shares. And so that's 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 essentially what I did. And I still have some. I'm kind of selling them down over time. Um, but yeah, after I started investing in shares, I was like, wow, this is actually this is actually much better for income. And I also don't have any... Uh, any headaches to deal with no one's emailing me saying that oh we need to fix such and such or can you fix this there's a bill yeah 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 oh, oh the tenants yeah. made a request to have such and such done i'm like oh god another expense so um yeah, yeah. then I, my mind completely shifted to oh wow this is actually going to be very handy for creating income to live on and so that's what i would do mm. starting from scratch again today so that's that's pretty much what i talk about in the book what are franking credits for those that are tuning into you for the first time around franking credits? Yeah. So franking credits are essentially a credit that a tax credit that shareholders can get for tax that the company has already paid on the money they've made before they paid you a dividend. So let's say a company a company makes a profit, they pay tax, they pay you a dividend and then you would have to pay tax. So to kind of not make that like a double tax situation. What they've said is there's a ruling for Australian companies who pay tax in Australia that if you pay tax and pay shareholders a dividend, you can pass on a franking credit, which just represents the amount of tax that was already paid on that, on that money before it was paid to you. And so then you don't actually get that money initially. You just get your cash dividend. It's kind of like a money that sits at the ATO with your name on it. So then when you go to do your tax return, you, uh, you would enter your, the amount of dividends you got and this other, this other item called franking credit. And so that actually counts as tax paid on your behalf because you're the shareholder that was paid the money. And so the, the, what that does is either reduce the tax that you would owe on your dividends or in 
retirement or early retirement, doesn't matter how old you are, you could then receive that as a tax refund potentially depending on your your personal tax bracket at the time. So they're very handy. That's the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> do you um do you have any fears around the share market tumbling, crashing? Because I think that's probably one of the big fears of the listener tuning in. They go, oh, this all sounds well and good as long as the share market's doing good. But if the share market goes belly up, then I go belly up with it. I've got a family, question mark. Mm, yeah, it's a really good question. So I think a lot of the a lot of the comfort level that you build up around the share market is really understanding what it is and also what what in particular you're investing in. So for me, I invest in index funds, which I'm not sure if anyone's heard of those who, who are listening, they might they potentially have. So an index fund is essentially a very large fund which invests in the essentially the entire market. So if we think of Australia where say people would have heard of the ASX 200 or the ASX 300. It kind of represents the biggest two or 300 companies in Australia. And so an index fund will buy the buy all of those companies and replicate that index. So if you buy an Australian index fund, you're essentially buying little pieces of every every business that's listed on the market, all of those top 300 anyway. And it gets updated over time. So the top 300 now, in 10 years, they'll probably look different because companies change over time. Some companies grow, some companies die, but you'll still own whatever the top 300 are at the time. And so that kind of gives you a little hint into the future of, okay, if I'm investing in this group of companies for 30 years, I'm not actually super reliant on that particular group of companies. I'm Because in 30 years, if those companies are different, I will still own the top 300 companies. So the idea is that your this index will kind of change over time naturally as businesses change over time. And so what you're really doing, even though it may not look like it, is you're essentially betting on the future of Australia and the future of the profitability of businesses in Australia because that's all shares really are, just little pieces of businesses. So that's that's the important way to think about it because when the share market goes down, it simply means people aren't wanting to pay as much for those shares as they were before. But it doesn't mean that those companies are all going bankrupt. That's not what's happening. Companies are still behind the scenes making profits. Now, if we're in a recession, those profits might be lower. So it's fair that the price went down because if a company's profits are less, it's generally not not as valuable as before. And then if you add in a little bit of fear, which happens when markets fall it kind of amplifies that a bit as well but companies are still doing business in the background i mean just because we're in a recession people are still going to woolies every week people are still uh people are still paying their mortgage to commonwealth bank bhp is still mining you know all these different things they're still happening in the background it hasn't they haven't disappeared the price might have gone down but they're still in the background making money and if they're making money they'll still be paying dividends and so that's generally what we're relying on into the future. Companies being able to remain profitable and pay dividends because that's what's going to sustain us over the long term. And so it doesn't matter that much. I mean, it does matter to some degree, but it's not as as painful as you might imagine when you're From when you're living off a portfolio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of it's media headlines and and things like that. But it can unnerve quite a few people. So 
if that's the case and you haven't built up quite a comfort level with it yet, but you are approaching retirement or living off it, off, off the asset base, there's a few things you can do. So to kind of cushion the blow, because like I said, dividends may fall during a recession. So your income would go down. So what you can do in that scenario is keep a bit of cash in your bank account so that if if your income falls from 40 to 30,000, you can just take 10 grand from your from your bank account, kind of top up your income in your own way. Or you can um, spend a little bit less money for a short amount of time while dividends are lower and the portfolio is not doing that good. Or you can do a little bit of part-time work. That might help too. So there's all these little different things that you, little levers that you can pull in such a scenario to kind of soften the blow, I guess, and, and get through what might be a scary period. So I hope that answers your question. It really does. I'm just going to drive the home the point home further. How did you go during COVID here in Australia? Because we were heavily locked down. Um, your dividends kept being able to support you. How did you navigate a time that was that? Because that was quite a unforeseen, uncertain time for the market. Yeah, so that was quite, it was also quite an unusual time for investors. So that I believe from memory that that was the, deepest fastest fall we've had in a one month period ever so it was actually quite unusual um i think from memory the market fell something like 35 or 37 percent in a month which is just bananas really um but then actually started bouncing back relatively quickly after that but it was still a pretty it's pretty scary and pretty unusual period of time that's for sure uh but no I, i did fine i mean these days we're both my partner and I we're both working sort of part-time and making some some income on the side so we're we're much less reliant on the portfolio than if we had nothing else and just had to rely solely on the income that the portfolio could provide so it wasn't actually that scary I was quite excited about buying more shares actually when the prices had fallen so I was I was busy doing that so it was probably the opposite experience to what you might imagine I'm sitting here biting my teeth but I was actually um I'm biting my nails rather but I was actually I was like oh wow it's it was unnerving of course because you're like because you don't know what's happening in with the world in general mm. at that time if you remember it was a very strange period but yeah. uh yeah it was it wasn't quite as scary because I was trying to focus on bu- on buying more shares while prices were low <laughs> Okay, so I feel like, man, you're so transparent. I could talk to you about anything forever. <laughs> you could just keep getting more and more insights on how to do this. I want to leave the audience with potentially the idea of what's a good savings rate to start um, in your humble opinion. Like I'm, I'm sure you're going to say something to the effect of like whatever you can do. Um, but rule of thumb, like generally, do you think 500 bucks a week or 500 bucks a month is a good place to start? Um, yeah, what's what do you think is yeah. Yeah, as as you said yourself, it's because it is different for everyone. We're all on different levels of income. We're all, we've all got different levels of uh, expenses and liabilities, and some of them aren't within our control. Some of them are. Um, so there isn't really a dollar figure, as you guessed. I'm, Let's say I am someone just earns say like whatever the you can manage. Sort of, yeah. What if someone earns about hundred k a year? Let's just start with that, so then people can work their way around up and down. Hundred k from there. I mean, I would at a hundred k. I would really hope that you're able to save twenty k of that. 
I would really hope you're able to do that. And then hopefully you can work your way up from there uh, by optimizing different areas of your life. But yeah, I would really hope that you can, you can get to 20 K and hopefully above. Yeah. Awesome. So that's about 1500 bucks a month. Yeah. Dope. Awesome. Thanks heaps for sharing that bro. And dude, Thank you so much for writing the book. It's really understandable. It's really straightforward. You've got a real knack for making what seem to be taboo, big, complex ideas, explaining them really simply. And I think one of the things that is probably not been remarked upon is just how much I want to call it emotional support is offered through the book because you're actually holding space for a lot of the stuff that comes up for individuals around money and you're just talking through it um, in the book really well as well which is, yeah, there's just like all these emotional baggage pieces that we bring to when we talk about money. And for those tuning into the conversation today, you can probably feel in today's vibe, like it's just, it's just money, but it is freedom. <laughs> Be mindful. <laughs> you know? So I think it's, I think it's a really well written book. I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes below for people to go check out. Um, anything else you would hope people like any resources you'd like to share with people if they want to get more interested into, yeah, being financially independent and retiring early. Um, yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for the kind words, man. I appreciate that. Um, I would just leave people with the idea that it doesn't have to, it might seem a little bit unusual and a little bit of a foreign concept and a little bit intimidating perhaps to get started but it really doesn't have to be. It's really just about starting to use your money in a slightly more thoughtful way and some of which you can begin investing and, and, and start using that to build a future that you're excited about. And obviously the, the bedrock of that will be, will be built on freedom, but it doesn't mean you have to go from zero to 100. So I would say just take some baby steps and just kind of learn as you go. And investing definitely does seem like a scary topic for a lot of people and there's a lot of things that a lot of things that we don't know in the beginning obviously um but it, it's really i promise it's not as it's not as um it's not as scary and it's not as complex as you as you think it might be it's really really very straightforward or it can be if you if you let it be straightforward so i would just encourage people to start slowly and learn as you go and hopefully you can you can begin working towards a a future life that you're happy with. Dave, brother, thank you so much for sharing yourself so abundantly here today. And man, just yeah, really appreciate because I think a lot of people have a lot of ideas and philosophies on, you know, how they can actually achieve certain outcomes in their life. But mate, you taking the extra effort to really you know, guinea pig yourself and put the proof in the pudding um, and just leading by example that actually, you know, if you do value something, you can make it happen if you just get a little bit strategic about how to apply it. So thank you, obviously, for today's conversation, but also all the work you've done on yourself, mate, to actually try and, yeah, just provide the context that actually, hey, this does work. So thanks for going there for us so that we can actually see the example. Really appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Like I said, I wasn't just gassing you up. Like you've written it. It's really straightforward. It's really approachable. And yeah, just the, the overarching theme, man, that when I'm spending my money, I'm taken from my future, man, that's, it's good. That's good medicine. That's really good. medicine. Yeah. Cause you're like, I'm um, doing this with it, but I could do this with it. Yeah. So that <laughs> could actually, and it's like, whoa, is that, re is that really worth 25 times fucking what I'm spending it on? And it's like, it's just a really good, 
really good lens because I used to play this game where it's like, would I buy two of this? Like, and I don't know if that makes sense, but like if I go to breakfast and breakfast in Melbourne can be like 25 bucks for scrambled eggs with some avocado smashed. And I was like, oh, that's a bit expensive. And it's like, would you buy two? There's no way I fucking pay 50 bucks for breakfast. Like, fuck off. And it was like, exactly. So, but if it was like 12 bucks and would you buy two? It was like, yeah, I probably would buy $24 worth of breakfast. So I'd always play this yeah, game with okay. myself. Um, I don't know. It just came because maybe because I'm like, because my heritage is Indian, right? So we're known to be sort of frugal. Um, so it's like, is this good value? Like, would I buy two? <laughs> you know, it's kind of the idea. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. That was always something I checked in with. But the 25 one, I still bought stuff, I think, that I, yeah, didn't need to but just was, like, enamored by. And this has been really good to sort of recognize, shit, I'm growing a family and especially being a dad now, it's like, you know, I can buy back time um, if I just get mindful of where I'm spending my money. Like, that is ridiculous. And I might not have it tomorrow, but, you know, 15, 20 years from now, I might have a very different story to tell um, based on how much time I can spend with my kids, you know, in their adolescence. So. Yeah. Yeah, man. And that's exactly it. Everything's priorities. Everything's mm. priorities. So your yeah. your plan will look different from my plan, will look different from someone else's because we've all got different priorities that we're juggling and motivated by different things. Thank you so much for tuning in to this amazing episode of the Inspired Evolution. Without you, the Inspired Evolution tribe, this podcast would not be what it is today. Thank you so much for your love and your support. Thank you so much for being so inspired to evolve. It's truly inspiring. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to the Inspired Evolution on YouTube, the home of the Inspired Evolution's video podcast. We release inspiring conversations such as this every week, along with guided meditations and empowering insights all designed to help you grow and evolve. Honestly, your subscription on YouTube to the channel helps us out a great deal. And one of the other benefits, if you're having any insights or shifts from these episodes that you want to chat about, or if you'd like to leave myself or the guest a message, please do so in the comments on YouTube. I truly look forward to hearing from you. And as always, Tribe, remember to stay inspired and keep evolving. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.